0: Painter Marketing Pros and APC.
1: Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, a show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over $1 million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn, Do, Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. On this episode of the Industry Partner series of the Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast, we have Benji Carlson of Breakthrough Academy. Benji is the head of content at BTA. Benji, thanks for joining us today, man.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, Brandon. It's an honor.
1: Absolutely, man. So, uh I've heard a lot about BTA. You know, you guys we, we travel in the same circles. I've heard very, very positive things, so I'm super excited we're finally making this connection. I don't I don't think you and I actually met in person at Expo last year. We'll, we'll fix that this year, but, uh, yeah, I'm excited. We're shooting this man. Yeah, me too. So tell me as we, we get started, tell me, I guess, a little bit about you, your background and, and kind of how you got involved at BTA. So
2: I started, um, in the painting industry, I was a college pro painters franchisee, was really successful with that for about five years through university, um, After I dropped out of school for the third time and didn't go back, I was like looking for other stuff. I was wanting to get out of painting. Uh, Actually, it it wasn't so much that I was wanting to get out of painting. I just had heard of this Breakthrough Academy thing being started at the time. This would have been back in 2015 by um, a friend of a couple of friends of mine. And I was like, that's a really good idea. You know, this market is huge and it's totally underserved. Um, when it comes to like business systems and coaching and, and the infrastructure needed to scale. And that's kind of, you know, what we do, which we'll talk about in a second, but yeah, I I came from, uh, came from the college pro world, uh, started with breakthrough Academy in 2017. Um, and we've been just growing like crazy ever since. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of how I come to this world.
1: Yeah. Did, so you said that you dropped out of school three times
2: yeah yeah you Three kept
1: going lines. back huh
2: i kept going back i just kept thinking <laughs> I, I think i kept expecting there to be more than there was and then i finally was sitting in like a supply chain management course with someone who clearly had failed in business and was like i don't know what like i'll just i'm just gonna go sell a paint job because i think i'd make more and learn more there than i am in this classroom and i honestly never went back don't tell anyone
1: yeah school <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's great, man. Yeah. So the uh, let's get into Breakthrough Academy. What is it?
2: Okay, we systemize contracting businesses for growth.
1: That's wow. our tagline. That's concise. Now,
2: I love it. how do we how? So let me unpack that. You know, we are. I guess you could say we're a coaching business, but we hate the word coaching because. Many coaches are jokers and clowns, and they'll take your hard earned money and give you crappy advice. And then six months later, you call us and you say, Anyway, I'm very jaded with respect to the word. I've got some PTSD around the word coaching, but I use that because it at least gives someone a bit of a comparison now really what this is a better way to describe it is like a franchise system without all the lousy aspects of a franchise and there are many if you want to get into them we offer the coaching the content and the community I would say at a higher level than a franchisor would give you but you retain control over your company you're not giving us crazy royalties in perpetuity. You keep your brand, it's your business, you pay us a fee and we provide you with the support, the content, um, all the systems needed to basically go from a, let's say about a million dollar a year business to $5 million a year to $10 million a year and beyond if that's what you desire. But we focused on the operational side of the of the business, like we help implement the behind the scenes not so sexy systems that you're not really thinking about when you start your business, but then you hit a certain point and you're like, holy crap, I really need better financial controls. I really need to implement employment agreements and job descriptions for everyone. So they know what they're doing. I need to build SOPs. I need to create an onboarding system, blah, 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 blah. The list goes on. There's all these things that um, when it's just you and a helper, you're like, man, they're not really on your radar, but when you're hitting, let's say approaching a million dollars a year, a million point five a year, it becomes abundantly clear that that's indeed what you need. And so we help entrepreneurs in painting, but a few other industries as well, inject their business with the infrastructure it needs to scale to the goal that they have in their mind's eye. So okay. is that a good description? Did I miss any, yeah, like, I think it? No, I think it was great, you? man. I,
1: I want to make sure I'm yeah crystal clear here so you for you guys you really start working with companies when they're at around a million in revenue is that right
2: yeah our lower threshold would be like um let's say as low as about seven hundred fifty thousand dollars a year in size and that's not because this is some elitist or snobby group (laughs) it's literally just because at the at that, when you get to that size is when what we teach makes sense and it becomes more affordable. So uh we have a lot of free content that we deliver to smaller businesses. We we'd happily connect with them and kind of like build a bit of a relationship so that when they grow into us, we're there waiting and, and ready. But by and large, you know, the 98% of our businesses are between one and 15 million dollars a year in revenue
1: okay one one to 15 yeah. so if you're at one you want to get to 15 you guys are the guys
2: yeah yeah or if you want to get to five we're the guys we want to get to seven the number is totally arbitrary and that's up to you but yeah. we'll we'll just kind of help you put the systems in place to do it
1: i love it so i i know you you had said it's an underserved market so let's kind of dive into that a little bit what was the main motivator behind bta what was kind of the aha moment that led to that
2: Well, we want to transform honest, hardworking contractors into truly thriving entrepreneurs, okay? Like, I believe that trades and construction and home services are essential. There's no, like, no part of sort of the Western world, North American society that we all enjoy really functions without them. I don't think they get a ton of credit for doing, you know, dirty work behind the scenes, And that's fine. It's not all about the credit, but I do think that this little niche and it's not, it's a huge part of the global economy huge is um, hasn't until very recently, hasn't been equipped with the systems and tools needed to run the businesses they want. And as a result, it's been kind of fragmented and, um, stuck a decade behind but that's all changing very very quickly which I know you want to dive into later talking about the future yep. of, of, of this space that's all changing very quickly I'd, l- I'd like to think that we're kind of at the forefront of it uh, with lots of other players in this space but um, yeah that's that's kind of why we do what we do we, we want to make contracting cool again and we want to put more dollars and more, more free time into the hard-working entrepreneurs behind these businesses
1: yeah. I, I love your focus on taking hardworking contractors and really turning them into entrepreneurs. So I think that, that's yeah. a serious one. And I think a lot, you know, many people in the industry don't really recognize maybe even the difference between those things sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I do want to get into the the painting industry. So one of the things I love about uh, talking with people like you, you know, from, from some of the best uh, industry partners that we have is you guys have insights so you have insights working with all these different painting companies are you guys just in are you guys just in north america are you guys elsewhere as well
2: it's just north america it's canada the u.s but last i didn't believe we have members in every state and province with the exception of maybe a couple but it's yeah we were we have clients all over north
1: america yeah. okay so yeah you guys are, are working with these with these painting companies all across north america which means that you have access to to data and to knowledge that very few people have, right? I've had a lot sure. of highly successful painting company owners come on the show, um, but they can only really present their 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 experience, right? Or the people that they know? You right. you have a unique scenario here, so I, I want to start with the mistakes first, because because you know you see these mistakes, you repeat these mistakes, and I think one of the best things about learning from mentors or education like this is avoid mistakes that other other people make. So, what are some of the most common mistakes that you see painting company owners make?
2: Um, well, I I mean there's there's lots of mistakes that people make. And I, I also would just preface this by saying like mistakes are a good thing, mistakes are how you learn. Uh making mistakes is not bad, it's very healthy. Uh, so I'm not I don't want to, you know, publicly shame mistake making. Uh, but I can maybe speak to some common patterns. Um, I'll tell you one that is not going to surprise you is is like a total lack of focus on financial controls. Yeah. People sell jobs and produce jobs and basically cross their fingers and on a, basically go on a hope and a prayer that everything will even out <laughs> in the wash. And sometimes it does, but lots of times it doesn't. And if you don't have an ability to see what's going on, um, within your business that's driving or, or, or hurting profitability. That's a big problem to, to click in on that even more, to just be like super specific for painters. Like when I say financial controls, especially when you're starting out, like just like get really good and rhythmical about job costing. You estimate a project for a, with a certain, uh, certain, uh, you know, baked in gross profit that you're trying to achieve. If you're not reality checking how the project actually did six weeks later, two months later, whatever the cycle you decide it should be um, is you're not, if you're not reality checking how you did against that estimate and those are way off um, you, you can be working for free for many, many years. So I'd say dialing in on job costing is sort of a a good cornerstone or a good starting point to building out strong financial controls. Um, Another really common one I think about is like holding on to sales too long. Um, nobody can sell the way I sell. Nobody can sell this business, you know, this job. It's like, no, plenty, like lots of people can, um, you're good at it, but like you're not world class and salespeople are not these, you know, impossible unicorns that you think they are. You just need to, you just need to like standardize the process, build a consultative selling process, um, get a good CRM in place, build some good sales and marketing collateral and set someone else to do it because, uh, I was saying this to someone the other day. I'm like, like you have a more important job, which is to be the CEO of your company and not like the part-time sales guy, part-time job site manager, part-time administrator. Um, and so if you want to, you know, run a a a big boy business or a big girl business, uh, you need to treat it as such. and and getting getting out of sales, I think is is if you can do it early, you're you're better off. A lot of people hold on to it way too long. Um. Yeah. Other simple stuff like people overspend on paint and sundries, but they underspend on labor. Meaning, like people will kind of there will be like cheapskates about hourly wage. When it's like in my experience, you do get what you pay for. And if you find someone really good and they want a few bucks more, like those are dollars well well spent. Wasting money on an extra pail because you were too lazy to do the estimating and figure out how much it was going to take that really really hurts and if you look at your numbers at the end of the if you've ever spent too much on paint like i have you're like wow i cannot believe how much i just put in the landfill and basically i I could have kept those dollars um yeah i don't know that those probably the big ones i you know another one would be like trying to uh, trying to grow without investing in a good brand package like don't run ads to a really crappy website because you're just amplifying noise There's so many things, man. But I I think that those would be like some, some big, some big, uh, obvious ones that we see.
1: Yeah, that's really helpful. I'm, I'm curious as to you really focus on sales. You know, people hold on to sales too long. Is that, is that because that's just what you see? Like, that's just the position that people tend to not want to give up? Or is there something specific about that sales position that, that they should try to give that up sooner rather than later?
2: Yeah, I mean, like that, like, so that is what we see, like from talking like from the 550 businesses that are we're actively working with, and then the thousands more that are kind of in alumni status, like that is just an a, a broad aggregate uh, perspective that I or we have, you know, what, why is that? Well, I think that um, people are terrified to take off the proverbial sales hat, because it's a very leveraged role. So giving it away, if if someone is genuinely estimating and selling on your behalf and making promises that your production team has to go fulfill, it, it is an important, it I don't problems. want to diminish it and, and say like, Oh, you don't need like, this isn't a big deal. It is a big deal. I'm just saying it. Don't don't let that fear be so, um so paramount to you that you 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 stop yourself from from filling that seat on your organizational chart. Um, I, and then I think as well, there's just like some ego stuff, like people yeah. kind of like the dopamine hit from closing a deal. And like, when you, when you give that ABC, up,
1: been, always be closing.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, I think Wolf of Wall I Street kind of stuff out here. Totally. And if you found success for three years or five years selling yourself, it's just a habitual thing that's hard to
1: change. Yeah, no, it makes sense, man. And And I think a lot of, uh, you know, there's a, there's a big almost identity crisis that can occur. You know, people that's people what i saying. Our there's no there's no disconnect. It's the same thing. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I love it, man. So you so one of the one of the really really awesome things uh, about Breakthrough Academy, which is something that I I find really interesting, is is you guys don't work just with painting companies, but you work with all kinds of contractors. And the reason I find that really interesting is because I think I think I love the painting industry because I think the opportunity is just incredible here. Right. I, I think it's in some ways beyond or or less competitive, more ripe for disruption than let's say plumbing or HVAC or roofing, because oftentimes they're they're a little bit farther ahead in terms of their marketing, in terms of sometimes how professional they are. So I'm curious, how do you think that the painting industry compares to these other home service industries right now?
2: Um I guess from our I guess from our like very broad perspective, like we are business systemizers. So from our vantage point, the differences are not as much as you think. Like we look at them as little business entities that have certain inputs that create certain outputs. And there's certain KPIs that you track, which tell you, you know, what needs to be fixed and what's broken and etc. So like from our perspective, we we definitely um, look at these little business organisms from a bit more of a scientific and a bit more like calculated lens.
1: Sounds like it. It's now, like a lab. Having said that. What's that? It's it's like a lab. You got mathematical equations and a little little, yeah. little of that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's a bit more like colder of an analysis. I'm like a bit, you know, these bit the business is the business and. Now having said that we can kind of zoom in and talk a little bit of, a bit more about the pros and cons of of each cuz I do think that there are uh while I, I say what I just said I do think that there are a few you know advantages and disadvantages that they all have sure yeah let's let's get into that so with painting in particular I think one of the big challenges is if you're in um Canada or or northern parts of the US, the, the seasonality of exterior work is really challenging. And you'll hear this a lot with, with businesses that are just starting out. They've got big cash flow issues from November to March, maybe later. They lose part of their staff sometimes because they can't keep them employed. Um, you know, people in Miami and Texas and and uh, Southern California have it easy on, on this front, but definitely the seasonality of exterior work, depending on your geography, can be really hard. The other thing that I would say too about painting is, um, I think due in large part to a fairly low barrier to entry. And then I also think in large part due to these big, like student painting franchises, like the one I came from, college pro, but there's student works, there's university first class. I mean, there's a, there's hundreds of them at this point. I think that that has funneled a lot of entrepreneurs into the painting space. And so everybody will say their space is competitive and they are, but painting in particular is a very busy market. Um, having said that, you know, I don't know if painters realize this compared to other industries. Like you guys have the healthiest, the best gross profit percentage compared to roofing, compared to construction, way better than renovations. Um Uh, way better than landscaping. So there's your ability to price and create a healthy gross profit margin is something that is uh, uniquely good for painting. Not everyone enjoys that. Um, And the other thing that I think that I I really like about painting is it is relatively simple. Like, you know, like when you think about the complexity that's like a GC, like a general contractor has to deal with, where they're, There's a very extensive design process. They may need to work with engineers and to pull permits. They're working with highly paid project managers and interior designers. They got to deal with the city. Like there's all sorts of stuff. The scope of the projects are hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes millions of dollars. These are like really big, sophisticated, challenging projects that require way more systemization on the side of the business. And I think that painting doesn't have to deal with that as much. So it is they're just, they're simpler. They're kind of, I'm not saying that they're simple. They are simpler than some of the yep. other ones. And as a result, I think it's easier to get your head around it.
1: Yeah, I love, yeah, relatively speaking, simpler. So I, w- I want to kind of get into this margins idea then with you, because again, this is your guys' sure. business. You know, you make painting companies healthy. You help them scale. You tell them what what they need to do and how to do it. You said that they have the healthiest, uh, highest gross profit percentage of, of all these uh, contracting businesses. What do you think a painting company should have in terms of gross po- profit? And what do you think they should have in terms of net profit? And then maybe we can just, obviously it's going to vary based on, on the structure of the company, but maybe just a brief look into, let's say a one or two or three or even a $5 million company, what would the overhead likely look like? I know sure. that's somewhat, somewhat of a loaded question there, but I'm curious.
2: Okay, so uh, let's start with re- let's just do residential. Okay, um, we can talk about commercial if you want. Uh, well, and and you know, by the way, people are gonna like people are gonna gasp and be appalled when here's where you get the hate mail.
1: Here's where you get all the messages. But,
2: <laughs> yeah, they'll be like, "You, we can't do that. That's not possible." I'm like, "Okay, I'm just telling you what we see with our members." So when it comes to gross profit margin okay anything below a 40% gp we would consider needs work like that that's that's not it's you know it's not great uh anything from like 42 to 47% gross profit we would say that's that's solid okay. and anything north of 47 so 47 50 55 we have guys that are north of 55% wow. gp that we we call that like exceptional or world class
1: yeah that's great so if
2: you're if your gross profit right now is 32% um You know, that should be an alarm bell, something to do with your estimating process, something to do with your production process, something to do with the way you order them something in that system that, that, um, can be dramatically improved. And then your, your net, your net profit, like what does that trickle down to anything below 15% net, we would consider needs work 15 to 20. We would say is solid. And then anything, anything above 20 is like exceptional. You're really making good money. Um, Commercial side, it's <clears throat> really, really similar. Yep. The net is a little bit lower. So I just like take all those same numbers for GP. And then your net would be a bit, a bit lower because, um, generally speaking, you are, you have a little bit more overhead to run those, uh, to run those projects. They're a little bit more price sensitive because their businesses, there's a few factors in that, but they're very, very similar between the two, um, what was the second part of the question what the overhead looks like
1: Yep yeah basically after after you talk about net profit percentage you know we're we're going from let's say it's 45% um down to 15% where where is that 30% where where should that be attributed to
2: yeah, I mean, so I'll I'll talk in broad strokes because um, you get too technical and then people start disagreeing about what is actually considered overhead versus what, sure. what is not. So let me just make this really simple. Uh, okay, where where should those where should that thirty percent in overhead go? <clears throat> um, as far as people, I would say like a really really strong office manager is money well spent. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can hire a good office manager earlier than you think because lots of them will do part-time and then you can scale them up to full-time as your business grows. So really, really good office manager and like admin support. Um, I would say a really good CRM and tech stack is another good, like those are dollars well spent. Uh, so whether that's drip jobs or jobber or work glue or you know there's there'd be a handful in in paint scout whatever. Although I think that's more for estimating. Um, a good salesperson. Uh, and somebody might debate. Well, depending sure. on how they're paid, that's actually packed into variable costs or whatever. I would just say your team should have a good salesperson early on, especially around like seven fifty to a million dollars a year. Getting a good salesperson in place. Um. And much later on, once, once those sort of like facilities, once those people are maxed, you could talk about production managers or operations managers or GMs beyond that. I'm like, spend some good money on your branding and your marketing. And, uh, I think that that's like a good, healthy mix of overhead spends early on when you get to bigger businesses, it gets a lot more complicated, but I think those are probably pretty safe bets for your audience.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great breakdown, man. I appreciate that. So when someone's listening, and and let's say they are at that thirty-two percent. When you said, okay, if you're at thirty-two percent, you hear this, that should be kind of an alarm bell for you because your gross profit should mm-hmm. not be that low. What, in your experience, would again, there are a lot of factors, but is it typically mm-hmm. that they're not charging enough, or is it is usually okay they're charging enough, but their their production costs are just way out of control?
2: <clears throat> um, it's usually a bit of both. Uh. By the way, now is a great time to raise your prices. Spotify's doing it, Netflix is doing it. You know, your bank is doing it. Every like might Every, as well everybody's doing it.
1: Yeah. Um
2: <laughs> so now is a great time to do that if you haven't already. Um and then yeah, I think I think most operational efficiency is difficult. Um Getting like motivated and tenacious painters who are just kind of like, you know, (laughs) trundling around the job site is difficult, getting people to follow SOPs so that the production process is methodical. Um, you know, getting people to be thorough so you're not spending an extra day and a half doing quality control because the client pointed out a bunch of stuff. I mean, you know, I mean, if you're listening, you know the things that kill your business when it comes to like productivity, go fix those. The solutions yeah. are not as complicated as you think. I know you're busy and I know it takes time, but like that, if you want to play the entrepreneurial game, working on your business rather than in your business is obviously something you want to do. And so, I'd say it's usually a mix of both, but it would come down to like how you're pricing via your estimates and then like very zoomed in on like job site efficiency. Like what what's going on on that site between the crew lead and the painters and the customer communication to get projects, you know, on and off the schedule as quickly as possible.
1: Yeah. And I love your focus. If you're listening to this, you you probably already know something, right? People tend to procrastinate. They think like it's yeah. great, It's a great step to listen to the podcast, great step to get educated. But you also need to take action. Don't have paralysis by analysis. One exactly. step, one step in the right direction. So I, I want to, um, I love the fact that you guys give away stuff for free. There's uh, a a uh, a podcaster I follow, Alex Mosey. You're probably familiar with him. I love him, but he he gives yeah. away a lot of a lot of free stuff. And uh, you guys give the stuff away for free. You help the businesses sort of get to a point where it might make sense, and and then maybe they may or may not want to want to work with you, right? Because they've already benefited. They see that you know it, what you're doing. Um, so mm-hmm. it's kind of along that same vein. I'd like to focus on the the Pareto principle, you know, the 80-20 rule. Uh, for people yeah. who are listening, painting, painting company owners who are listening who haven't yet had partnered with BTA, maybe they're not even at the point where financially it would make sense for them to partner with you guys. What would it be likely that, that they should take away and take a hard look at right now? You, you've talked about a, a few things, but but what are the things like, hey, 80, 20, if you're at 500,000 or so, you probably need to go ahead and look at this right now and make sure it's okay.
2: Um, I think the first problem that you want to create for yourself, and I realize that sentence sounds weird, but, it does. but hang in there. The first problem you want to create for yourself is a demand glut, meaning you can mm-hmm. sell, you can market and sell more work than you're able to produce. Which is a problem and it's a big one, but it's a really good problem to have because you kind of looked after the thing which cripples 70% of contractors when they start out, which is just getting the phone to ring. So figure out your lead sources that work, figure out a sales process process that works, get your closing ratio to be 40% or higher. Um, Like just get that part of your business. And I realize there's a lot there, but like get that figured out first so that you have more work coming at you than you can handle then you would connect with breakthrough academy and we will help you know really deck out your operational systems and your production capacity so you can get the, get through that work and more with ease or not ease but but relative ease co- compared to where you might have been before the other stuff that i think is really s- fundamental to success brandon is Um, And I know everyone's heard this before and this is like kind of a tired message, but just like, take care of your diet, sleep, and exercise. Like being in business is, is a grind and it is a demand on your internal motor, your physical body, your emotional body, your spiritual body. Like these are things that need, like it needs to be maintained. So I'm a big fan of like having your rhythms and rituals dialed in for yourself. Right. Like for me, and by the way, this isn't like you don't need to get up at 3:30 in the morning and meditate for four <laughs> hours and journal for two, like and then yeah. take like six ice baths and then be like get a grip. Like I'm not one of those people, but have a routine to your day, have forms of exercise that work for you. Um, you know, make sure that you have a good, healthy sleep, hygiene. Try to eat food that's good for you because. Uh, usually what takes people out of business is just like complete and total burnout and exhaustion and the best defense to that is like healthy rhythms and rituals um the other thing when you say like what's like 80 20 like get really good at priority management the one thing that everyone has in common the great equalizer is time right we all have 168 hours in the week It's, it's the one resource you can't get more of so what you'll notice with high performers is they're quite religious. They're, they're pedantic about the way that they manage their schedule and their small picture, meaning what they do in like days and weeks is highly, highly connected with their big picture, meaning where they want to be in years or decades. There's a logical link between those things. Mm. So there's lots of business owners who have the big picture figured out what we call dreamers, or entrepreneurs, like people who talk the talk and then you look at their actual activity and they're spending it on stuff that has zero correlation isn't driving them towards that at all they might be working hard they might be busy they might be stressed out but they're working on the wrong things because they don't understand priority management so I think like learning to say no to the small stuff and and kind of the the noise while focusing on what leads you to that greener pasture that you have in your mind's eye is is really fundamental as well And we teach teach a ton on that in Breakthrough Academy. There's free webinars that we do and blogs and all sorts of content you can consume on that specific skill. But I think diet, sleep, and exercise and get good at priority management because time is the great equalizer.
1: Yeah, I love it, man. Have that that vision, but then work toward it in a strategic manner and don't get burned out Mm -hmm. and bury yourself in the process because then you don't get there. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. so I want to shift gears a little bit you know, we're, I'm, I'm all about the marketing, the growth. I love that stuff. So what are some of the most effective marketing strategies you've seen in the painting industry? Obviously getting from 1 million to 15 million, you're probably doing some, some form of marketing. So in your experience, what has worked the best?
2: Well, it's different for different. I mean, is there like what the best for who best for a small business, a big business, like what, um,
1: however you want to answer. it. So if there are different tranches, let's say okay, if you're if you're at a million, we find that this works really well. Maybe it varies by location, right? Okay. If you're in the northeast, we find this works really well. Kind of however you want to segment that.
2: Okay, let's let's just make it really simple. Let's say like like smaller businesses and bigger businesses and we'll just give two categories. For smaller okay. businesses, you have a really limited marketing budget. Um it's going to be uh it's gonna be simple stuff, right? It's 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 gonna be like job site marketing. So a really good like sign and flyer program around the projects that you're doing residentially. Um some good door knocking. Like I know people are gonna poo-poo that, but like door-to-door still works, especially for painting. Yep. Uh I would hold tension to reviews. So like your job site manager or you, whoever is doing it, ideally not you is trained to make sure that on the exit and close out of a job, when a, when a, uh, when a check is cut, that a review is being posted to Google. Uh, Cause that's free as long as you didn't get a good job. Um, and it's really, really good for your, your SEO and your searchability. And then I would say optimizing your Google business page. That's like a SEO layup. It's a very, very cheap, you would know more about this than I would, but that's a very cheap and inexpensive and doesn't take long to just help you with your ranking. When we get into bigger businesses, you know, it really it gets a lot more complicated. Like you're, you're, you're usually working on some level of brand building. You're creating a, you know, beautiful logo, beautiful website. You're working on brand voice and how copy is written. And you're creating content that is disseminated out there on the interwebs for people to find. You're probably running paid ads to it um and you get into managing campaigns and, and it all gets a little bit more sophisticated and expensive um but th- that, i would say like i would say like that's that's kind of oh and it, by, you'd also be paying a lot on spending a lot on seo because you're going to want to be on the first page of google mm-hmm. um so like i but i i, I you know it's I'd, i think for your listeners like I'd, I'd stick with that low-hanging fruit and if you're not doing that start there um and and the ball will begin to roll and and you'll start to have fun with it and then these newer maybe more um more sophisticated marketing tactics will become available to you in time but one thing i would not recommend is is going and spending a pile of money on stuff that you don't fully understand and your business isn't ready for um if your website sucks don't go run paid ads to it you know what I mean? If your brand yeah, is ugly, not going to convert. don't go amplify it with a whole bunch of ads,
1: like I just like yeah, do the fundamental have some stuff idea of what's going on when you when you pay for yeah. this. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Marketers <laughs> are marketers are uh <laughs> I'm not talking about you, but you know what I'm talking about. Mark- <laughs> marketers are a slippery bunch. group. Man. They'll be happy to take your money happy to and spend it yeah. um and give you not a whole bunch in, in, in return. And and contractors kind of get duped by that all the time. So yeah. Yeah. No,
1: the uh the, the marketing industry is is a shady world. I can tell you that. Uh I've yeah. uh, I've been screwed a, a number of times myself, and I'm in the industry, so that's how that's how dicey it is. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. So you know you you work. I think you said you work with companies in in just about every state and province up in Canada. Mm-hmm. What what have you found, or have you found anything to help combat winter slow season? To to kind of you know, I know you mentioned that that these smaller ones will, will take a huge dive. What do you recommend to take less of a huge dive? Um, you know, the
2: simple, the simplest one would be to market, sell, and schedule all your interior work to happen during the winter. So you're, you're trying to manage the schedule. Uh, if somebody wants an interior job done in September, can you diplomatically sell them into the idea of doing it in december when you're going to be slow so that would be like the simple thing would be to try to push your interior schedule to happen in the winter months Mm
0: -hmm.
2: for more senior businesses it's generally adding another service and you know like christmas lights for instance is a really popular one for painters because the you already have the infrastructure you have the ladders or the boom lifts or whatever you need to do it and so you're basically just you're basically just ship you're kind of retooling your production crews to do Christmas lights rather than painting in the winter. so it's it's a lot of our a lot of our sort of Canadian and businesses that operate in a cold climate will have that short that sort of shoulder season and off season side hustle that they do with their skeleton crew and then they scale back up for for the busy season.
1: How do you feel about the idea of offering discounts? to people who want an interior in the summer and and you push it out.
2: Yeah, I think it's okay. I don't, it depends on how much, and it depends on why, and it depends, you know, can you, in all honesty, Brandon, can you like pad your estimating a little bit? So you're not taking the 10% straight off that healthy GP that you should be getting. Is there a way to maybe do some clever estimating with whatever add-ons and upsells so that by the time yeah. you actually get the discount, you're not making 10% less. I think that that's your job to maneuver your way through that as a business owner. I, I don't think it's the worst idea. Any any incentive that you can provide to push someone to be scheduled when you want them scheduled and suits your business better, I think is worth investigating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, I know there's a big debate there, you know, whether, whether give a discount or not, or okay, if you do, if you give a discount, well, should you pad it or is that unethical? But I think, I think at the end of the day, what you just explained is you have to have to really fundamentally understand your sales and marketing process really well and your numbers yeah. really well. Otherwise, you don't even you don't even really understand what discount you're giving because you don't even know what your margins are. Totally. Yeah, yeah.
2: totally. I, I'm not necessarily against it. It just depends on the business and what works for your market.
1: Yeah. Do you find, and again, I know I kind of keep hammering this but again, you work with all these different companies and, and, mm-hmm. you know, they're a pretty wide range of revenue. Do you find that there are so, sort of certain tranches like, okay, I know you guys, you, you really start well at a million, but, but sometimes yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll be fine at seven or 50,000. So I assume that's kind of your, your first tranche and, and probably below yeah. that another tranche. How about, how about above that?
2: Yeah, we totally see that. That whole concept of tranches rings true for me. Yeah. Like it's, there's kind of smaller businesses, there's medium businesses and then there's bigger businesses and the challenges and the things that they're working on at those different stages um are really similar mm-hmm. um And so yeah, it's that's just kind of like the progression of the yeah you know think about like think about like Pokemon, you know what I mean like where the businesses are evolving from one stage to the next. You go to like Charmander to Charmeleon to Charizard, like that, you know, the businesses kind of evolve the same way. And um the stuff that the owner is thinking about, um, you know, to put this a different way, the stuff a business owner, a painting business owner at four million dollars a year is actually more similar to what a roofing business is thinking about at that stage than another painting business would be when they're much smaller. Does that mm-hmm. make sense?
1: It does. Yeah. What would you, I guess, so under 750, we'll call it tranche one, right? And there's sure. probably a couple yeah. different phases there. What would, Where would you say tranche two begins?
2: Um, yeah, it was, so it's very different. It's like industry to industry. It's very different. I would say like tranche one for painting would be like getting to the million dollar a year mark. Okay, and then I would and then I would sort of say one to two and a half is another like zone or another okay. tranche, and then north of two and a half would be like the bigger business category.
1: Okay, I love that. And where where does the I guess where does the overhead right when when you start to kind of build out more of this team would that be then in tranche two that one to two and a half million? That's where you need to be building that out.
2: That would be when you're starting to spend a little bit. You're not. It's not going. You're, over, you're still going to have overhead below a million dollars a year but it just becomes a lot more substantial when you're hiring a full-time office manager, you want to get an estimator, you're spending you know some money on someone to do some marketing stuff for you part-time um you're spending money on a tech stack. I mean yeah, like you, the, the expenses do add up and so it's pretty common for people to make you know they'll get they've been working for years to get to a million dollars a year and they hit that threshold and they get past it. And then they're making less than they were before. And like, Oh my God, this sucks. What have I done? But that's just all, that's just all part of the evolution. You need to kind of, had this guy on the podcast the other day, uh, Dan Plata. Have you remember Dan Plata? The Blue Sky Home not. Service. You'll cross paths with him. He's a great guy. Uh, he, anyway, we were talking about um, business purgatories and like this idea that at different stages, you get stuck in purgatory where your business is, is bigger than it was before, but you're making less money. And so like, top line goes up and bottom line goes down. And you're like, what the hell am I doing? Like I've worked so <laughs> it's getting hard. Worse. And now. It's worse. It's getting worse. But his point was like, that's just a natural part because your expenses swell because yeah. that's a part of the strategic plan. And so you're spending more before you get to the part where you make more again. And it's just something that does even out. And if you know that they're coming in advance, um, it, it, it helps, it's, it helps to be not caught off guard. Yeah. Um, Anyway, a bit of a tangent there, but yeah, what, what, what's
1: um? That was super helpful. I
2: you know about the tranches thing.
1: No, I mean I, that that was super super helpful, man. I think you know one of the one of the things that, I mean, for entrepreneurship in general, that can be scary, but but for painting specifically, especially, is you don't fully understand what's going to happen. You know, you think, oh, yeah. you're running this five hundred thousand business. Well, that that's what it would look like at five million too. And oh, I'm making a hundred thousand now or fifty thousand now, so I'll, I'll be making you know a million then. But you don't actually know how things are going to change. And yeah, I can imagine that's pretty concerning if when you start to hit these levels that you've been sort of dreaming about or aspiring to, and then your financial well-being seems to be getting worse. You start yeah. to wonder what you signed up for here.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so exactly. I think
1: it's good to know. Exactly. You know, going into it. Uh, what are you seeing? So obviously things last couple of years have been weird to to you know put it lightly, but let's let's focus i guess less on covid and all that stuff but just the painting industry in general have you seen it evolving over the last let's say five years have you seen it change or or not so much
2: yeah i have seen it change i i I think we're seeing the early stages of a very very big change that will probably take the next 15 to 20 years to kind of fully set in Mm -hmm. um obviously like the onslaught of technologies and softwares available to um, business owners is remarkable. I was talking to um, you know, Job Nimbus, big CRM. Yeah. I think it's mostly focused on roofing and exteriors, but they've got a lot of painters as well. So it's a great platform. We had yeah. um we had the the CEO and founder of it on named Ben Hodson, really bright guy. And, and he was telling me, he's like, you know, when we started out, and I think the number he said was like 10 years ago or 12 years ago when they started, not long, like in the, in the 2010s, you know what I mean? Like they're not talking about 1980, like yeah. not that long ago. He's like the most sophisticated tool that existed for contractors to store data was like Excel. Like, <laughs> like So if you just think about like how, you know, now it's like, you go to a trade show, there's gonna be like twenty different people who want to tell you about their platform and their product, which is amazing. And so I just think that like we're still on the early stages of that. Um, and what you're gonna see is a pretty, a pretty big gap uh, arise between new school and old school contractors. I think I think most people know what I mean when I say new school. So it's like tech savvy um excited to it you know uh, excited to adopt technology and evolve and old school is the classic you know stuck stuck in their ways boomer contractor who um you know is is who i sounds doom and gloom but i think whose days are numbered um over over the long run so yeah but lots has changed but lots more will in the future
1: what do you think about I guess like the fragmentation of the painting market, obviously it's, it's highly fragmented. I think there's somewhere, this number might be off, but I think there's somewhere in the vicinity of 300,000 painting companies Mm -hmm. in the U S and from my understanding, one or two or so percent of them are above a million. I mean, it's, it's wild. Yeah. How many small companies there are.
2: That's a great, yeah, that's a really interesting conversation. I mean, I, I I have a, my own take on it and I, you know, Somebody could make just as compelling an argument in the other direction. But personally, I think that you're going to see a lot of centralization over the next 20 years. I think that there are going to be fewer businesses and those businesses are going to be much larger. Um, Technology has made that possible. Um, But I I think more than that, you're going to see larger businesses take up larger market share because... Generally what happens is money looks for new markets and this construction and trade space is a relatively untapped one I'm talking about like investment capital so when you start to see you know big money players start to enter this space which they have it just means that more and more will because they're looking for underoptimized opportunities to make an investment a return on investment and i think that this will be a new frontier uh, so i think that um what you'll see is a few people kind of prove the concept, you know, not that long ago, somebody would have said, there's no way that you can run a, you know, a home service business that big. And now like our friend Tommy Mello is Mm -hmm. going to be North of 200 million this year and way more planned next year. And you'll see a few like real early adopters and real heavy hitters kind of prove the concept. And then generally what happens is, is a bunch more follows. So I think you're going to see this fragmented thing, go away i think it's going to be uh fewer larger businesses and so our advice and what we're doing with our members is like be one of those larger businesses uh because they're going to be very well situated over the next 20 years home you know homes and home services are not going anywhere um but that lower third or that lower half of kind of like the really old school really under systemized uh business owner they're just the there will be far fewer of them in 15 yeah. years, in my opinion.
1: Do you think that when, when these big companies, you know, uh, come in or, or become big or, or whatever it is, you think this is going to be kind of through internal growth to the company? Do you think they're going to employ more of a roll-up strategy and, and just swoop up a bunch of painting companies? What do you think it looks like? Um,
2: at a certain, you know, it's internal growth up until a certain size. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, fifty million bucks a year, maybe more. It's big. Like you, it's like yeah,
1: it's you know, size. Like on. if you're just like
2: just starting out, like don't like don't get excited about going. Not to go like, acquire do, like, everybody.
1: Get,
2: yeah, yeah. Like get really good at your own thing <laughs> first, but eventually, yeah, you get to a size and scale where like the only option for growth, well, the most logical option for growth is just to roll them up. Yeah, yeah. So I I think you'll start to see that there will be a Tommy Mello of the painting industry in the next five years, and then people go, oh, okay, I see what's possible now, and um things will begin to go that way like it yeah. or not it's my personal take and if someone made a compelling argument against it i'd hear i'd hear it with open ears but that's kind of what i see coming
1: yeah so that's really interesting because you know one of the things that historically um painting businesses have really struggled with is making their companies sellable right this idea of transferring equity and there's probably a lot of reasons for that but i guess number one it's a two part question number one why do you think uh, painting businesses are usually um, not the most sellable of businesses. And I guess it would be very related to question number two. Some people who are listening to this might not want to become Tommy Mello of painting, but they might want to be bought by him. How can they start to position their company now to to potentially be rolled up in the next five or 10 years?
2: Oh, that's such a great question, man. I think that the first the first
1: part, like why, why
2: do so many people um Okay, so yeah, here's an interesting fact. We had a we had an uh, mergers and acquisitions guy on not long ago and I I want I asked this exact same question because I just see it so often and I found out um, it's rare it's very rare. I think don't quote me on this, but I'm I'm pretty this, this is the number I remember less than one percent of businesses in our space will transact for more than zero dollars okay one in a hundred yeah so why is that um most because most people don't think just most people don't think about they make a lot of assumptions they sort of like assume that they're going to work really hard 20 for 20 years and they're going to put a for sale sign on their business and it's going to get snapped up to the highest bidder overnight and that's just not the case um it's a buyer's market in this world um you know it's not like there are more businesses available than there are people interested in businesses. And so to successfully exit a business in contracting, you need to be really, really, really strategic about it. Um, And it's not something you decide on doing. And then six months later you've done the deal. It's like, it's like, you know, a five years long or a decade long process. Um, You know, I I can relay the information that I've been given on doing this successfully Number one is systemization. And I'm I'll happily plug Breakthrough Academy here. Like that is something that we do exceptionally well. A business broker or a potential buyer is looking for systemization of some sort. It doesn't need to be a hundred percent perfect, but if it's a chaotic mess, it's of no value. The other thing they look for is like the predictability of future cash flow. So uh, recurring revenue or uh, like secured long-term contracts with clients. Um, uh, that's a big one. Diversification of products and services. So if you have a few different things that you offer and you don't have all your eggs in one basket, one basket, that's very appealing to a buyer. Documentation, stuff like SOPs and employment agreements and policies and manuals, all that stuff that we hate to build. Uh, again, we do that really well at Breakthrough Academy. Um, a very consistent sales and marketing program. It's like a strong brand. Uh, and like, you, you, you know, you don't have these large spikes and these large drop offs, like your sales and marketing is very methodical and consistent. And the last one that I would say is like a good strong growth trajectory. So when you is something that a lot of people will do, when they know they're going to sell in the next three years, they'll basically uh, really hit the the gas pedal down on marketing and sales. So the graph is showing growth. And they'll also, in very strategic ways, cut back on their overhead. So they're posting really healthy and really appetizing net profit numbers. It's kind of the same idea as like when you're selling your house, you paint the exterior and you get it immaculately clean. There's a few things that you can do to really like boost its value. Um, but anyway, I'm getting kind of far down the rabbit hole. There's a lot of stuff that you can do to make your business more appealing to, uh, to a buyer. Um, and if that's something that you plan on doing, you need to be thinking about it now because this sort of assumption that it's just going to be worth a bunch one day because you've worked hard at it is unfortunately, and in some cases very sadly, just, it's just not the case.
1: Yeah. Okay. So Pete, anyone who's listening, who, who thinks that, you know, Breakthrough Academy might be a good fit for them. What would the next step for them be?
2: Uh, They would go to our website, which is www.btacademy.com. Um they would click on the button that says book a call or, or talk to us it's a few different large orange. I think they're orange buttons on our site. will just take you to a landing page where you can schedule a, a meeting with us. Um, we are re like, I should say this right now, like we are almost at capacity right now. So we will, you know, we'll get in touch. We may not have room right this second. We're very blessed to kind of be in the have the luxury of being very like picky with, with who we take on and when we take them on. So, um, you know, we will get in touch with you. It it might be a month or two before we have room to, to onboard. Um, but our website would be a a great place to start. The other thing I should mention, I should have said it earlier is we'll also make available just this really cool training checklist, kind of SOP thing. That's a fill in the blanks um a fill in the blank we call them contractor quick tools so that's just like a free thing we'll leave behind if people want to grab something for free and play around with it it's a really great way to start um organizing your job site and getting it a little bit more efficient but website's a great place to start follow us on instagram at bt academy uh you can check out the podcast it's called contract revolution and it releases on all platforms every wednesday um, it's pretty easy to follow us along. And if people do want to reach out and talk to us directly, uh, the form on the website is the best place to do that.
1: I love it, man. Is there anything else that you want to add before we wrap up any other advice you have for painting company or really anything before we close down here?
2: <clears throat> any final advice, um, work on your business, not in your business believe that you can do it, be really, really focused on your numbers and your time and have faith that sooner or later things are going to start to pay off and they will. Um, I think that that's advice that I wish I had when I was kind of stuck in the trenches and suffering through the the painful onslaught of, you know, grassroots entrepreneurship. So that, that those would be my closing thoughts, Brandon.
1: Yeah, I love that, man. It is a it is a grind, right? This is a grind. You're not alone. Um, Benji, thank you, brother. This was awesome. Really glad that we made this happen. And uh, I'm excited to see you. I think this will air a week before Expo. So I'm excited to see you next week, man.
2: Happy to see you there, man. It'll be fun. Let's
1: see you, brother. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, Visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Hey there, painting company owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us your feedback. Let us know how we did. And also, if you're interested in taking your painting business to the next level, make sure you visit the Painter Marketing Pros website at PainterMarketingPros.com to learn more about our services. You can also reach out to me directly by emailing me at Brandon at PainterMarketingPros.com and I can give you personalized advice on growing your painting business. Until next time, keep growing.